Would you take your Bible with me? Turn this morning to John chapter 21. John 21. We're going to look at verses 15 through 25 this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are none on the table back there, but there are still, I'm sure, some under the offering box in the back. If you don't have a copy of God's Word or a Bible in front of you on your lap this morning or an app on your phone that you can look at, um, by all means, pick one up. Uh, sooner rather than later. We say this often when we gather together to worship uh, to, uh, as God's people, that uh, to have these words in front of you is of utmost importance. These are the very words of God I'm about to read, inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded nearly 2,000 years ago. These words come to us with the same authority as if Jesus himself were here speaking them to us this morning. And we know that he is alive and that he is ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand this morning, even right now at 10.30 a.m. on on April 9th of 2023. He is there. He is alive, bodily ruling next to the Father. And and we are the beneficiaries of all that he has has given to us in, in his word. And so have these words in front of you so that you know that I'm not making them up, so that you know that I'm not, I'm not coming up with these things this morning or these ideas, these propositions, these principles, these, uh, these words that you see before you, but rather that they are in fact the very, the very words, words of God. So this morning, turn your attention to the page, John chapter 21. And again, I'm going to read through from verse 15 through the end of the book, verse 25. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, Who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are other, also other, many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
I know that many of you this morning are visiting with us. If that's the case, my name is Caleb. I'm one of the elders here at Buffalo City Church. But also, as we look at this passage in John, this represents the 70th week and the final week that we're going to spend together in John's Gospel. It's Resurrection Sunday today. It's Easter Sunday, uh, the day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and look forward to the day where we'll be raised also together with him. Um, But again, this represents for our church family, for Buffalo City Church, the culmination of a a long journey through John's gospel and where things are now coming to a a close. This passage that I just read in uh, in John 21 uh, is often referred to as the restoration of Peter. And if you're looking at uh, your Bible, you might even have a heading that says something similar. Mine just says Jesus and Peter, but it might say something like the restoration of Peter. And this interaction between Peter and Jesus where Jesus asks him three questions uh, uh, regarding his love for him and Peter answers affirmatively in those three cases, and then Jesus tells Peter the way that Peter is actually going to die, and then Jesus talks to Peter about uh, his own following Jesus. This passage contains some key concluding thoughts for this, this book. And the reason, though, it's called the restoration of Peter, and you might have heard it called that, is because Peter, where we enter into this passage, Peter has sinned against Jesus. He sinned against Jesus uh, back earlier in John chapter 18, where he denies Jesus three times. He denies Jesus three times. In the upper room, or the Last Supper, Jesus told Peter that Peter would, in fact, deny him three times. And of course, during Jesus' trial, he does. He denies him three times. And you can see those references on the screen. In 1815 through 18, and then in 1825 through 27, it's recorded that Peter does, in fact, deny Jesus three times. Denies that he knows him, denies that he's interacted with him, and denies that he is one of his disciples, uh, disciples, a follower of Jesus. And to this point, when we get to this point, at the very end of John chapter 21, there is no resolution. There has yet been re- no resolution between Peter and between Jesus. If you put yourself in Peter's position, it's like having a fractured relationship with someone that that you know well and intimately have spent tons of time with in your life, but you get to a point where you do something that is so harmful against that person, and you wonder, could we ever be reconciled? Could we ever be reconciled? This is where Peter is. And John, the gospel writer, waits until the very end to show us exactly how this resolution comes about, or what we might call restoration. But from this passage this morning, from these 11 verses this morning, I want to argue with you that this is far more than just relational restoration. That what Jesus is doing with Peter here is far more than simply restoration of relationship between two good friends. Although it isn't certainly less than that, but I want to argue that the interaction represents more. It's not just the restoration of Peter, it's the resurrection of Peter. 
This passage isn't just about restoration, it's about resurrection. So hold in your mind that thought. Just keep that filed like over here on the side. And then I want you to think about three things together with me that's going to build to that. The, The three things that will guide our time together in this text are this. First, Jesus died so that Peter's sins and Peter would die. Second, Jesus was buried so that Peter's old way of life and Peter would be buried. And finally, Jesus was raised so that Peter would be raised without his sin and without his old way of life. Those three things will guide our time together this morning. So, first, Jesus died so that Peter's sins and Peter would die. In order to celebrate Resurrection Sunday like we are this morning, we have to acknowledge together that Jesus died a real physical death. And that the Bible teaches a real physical death of Jesus. On Good Friday, just a couple days ago, Jesus died. He was crucified between two common criminals, but Jesus wasn't a criminal. The charges brought against Jesus were in fact false. And so we asked the question, why did Jesus have to die? He was crucified between two common criminals, he himself in the center, not a criminal. So why did Jesus have to die? Was his life meaningless? And actually, it's the exact opposite. Jesus lived a more meaningful life than anyone has ever lived. Jesus lived a more meaningful life than anyone has ever lived. Why? Because, because Jesus never sinned. Because Jesus never sinned. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God. No spot, no blemish whatsoever on him. How can this be the case? Jesus kept God's law perfectly. He upheld all that God's word says to uphold without exception. So this is Jesus, who has a few days before this interaction with Peter died. And then a few days later rose again. But Peter in this passage, on the other hand, he is not without sin. He is not without sin. You and I are not without sin. We live in a modern world where sin is constantly being explained away. Sin is constantly being downplayed. The popular psychology of the day removes responsibility from the individual for sin, for wrongdoing, and places it elsewhere. When we sin, it's not just outside of us, but we like this. We like to pin our sin on something else, someone else. We say things like, what I said was only hurtful because you took it the wrong way. Or we say, I kept falling back into these bad habits because of the way my parents raised me. Or, If society just saw my value a bit more, I would probably be a kinder person. Friends, but God is clear in his word. 
the wages of sin is death. And for the one who commits the sin, death is the payment. When you sin, you're responsible for that sin. When Peter sinned and denied Jesus three times, even though Jesus said that he would in fact do it, he was fully responsible for his sin. And the proper payment for that sin is your death. The proper payment for my sin is my death. Not the other person who doesn't rightly understand my intentions. Not your parents. Not the society as a whole. You and I, like Peter, are sinful. And the wages of sin is death. And this points us to why the real, the physical death of Jesus is necessary. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus shed his real blood. He fully man, pierced hands, feet, side, water and blood flowing out. All of it has to happen on the cross for Peter to be forgiven, for you and I to be forgiven. Peter's outstanding sin here when he interacts with Jesus in John chapter 21 is that he denied Jesus three times. He failed to love the Lord his God with all his heart. He failed to love the Lord his God with all his strength. He failed to love the Lord his God in all of the ways that he is commanded to love the Lord his God. But when Jesus went to the cross, Peter's sin went with Jesus. Peter's failure is absolutely apparent, but the solution is coming. When Jesus went to the cross, Peter's sin went with it. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this idea in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, when he says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Because of your sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, because of Peter's sin, the law, God's word, operates as a mechanism of condemnation. What I mean by that is that it serves to create this contrast between what is good and right and holy and perfect and lovely and what is evil and abhorrent. What is in fact sinful. It's a mechanism of condemnation. Let me give you an example. If you're driving around this week and you get pulled over for speeding, The officer pulls you over and asks, how fast are you going? And you say, I'm not sure. And you say, he said, well, you're going 43 and this is a 35. The law is 35 miles per hour. The standard, this is the standard. If you're going 43 in a 35, you stand condemned. Because according to the law, you were speeding. The law condemns you because you broke the law. The law, therefore, is a mechanism of condemnation. But we're not talking about speed limits here. We're talking about God's commands given to us in his word. 
And you and I, like Peter, who failed to love the Lord his God, have violated God's standards, his perfect standards. And therefore, we, like Peter, stand condemned. But the good news of this, this portion of scripture is, and the good news that stands for all of us, is that Jesus took our sin to the cross along with him, and it was nailed there. So where the law stood to condemn you, Jesus stands to redeem you, because the law points out your sin, and Jesus takes it on himself. A real physical death that Jesus died is necessary. So Peter's sin, because of what Jesus does, and our sin is paid for. Peter's sin, your sin, my sin, is nailed to the cross when Jesus went there to die. But notice that I stated this first point in this way. Jesus died so that Peter's sins and Peter would die. That Peter's sins and Peter would die. What what does that mean? Peter didn't die on the cross. No. The forgiveness of sins that Peter has is because of Jesus' sacrifice. But this sacrifice for Peter comes, in fact, with a cost. It's free to him. It's offered freely to him. The forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of the the very apparent denial that, that Peter made against Jesus comes, though, with a cost. And that cost is death to an old way of life. Peter sins and Peter die. Last week, if you were here on Palm Sunday, we talked about the danger of Peter going back to his old way of life. Because at the beginning of chapter 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Well, if you remember, Peter's vocation, his job prior to following Jesus the first time, was as a fisherman. And he left that old way of life to follow Jesus. Jesus called Peter not to go back, but to put his hand to the plow and to move forward. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Jesus went to the cross for the forgiveness of sins. We too must die. Not a physical death, but a death to self and a death to to self-interest. A death to the things that we are and the things that we want to do. I want you to see how countercultural this is. I want you to see how different this is from what the world communicates. That the world communicates that you have to realize self, that you have become more of yourself, that you have to conjure up some kind of self expression. But the Bible says the exact opposite. The good news of the gospel says the exact opposite. It calls us to die to self. Jesus calls Peter to die to self. The radical message of the cross is that you must die to self. It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. This isn't some weird mystical statement. This isn't like, well, how do I do that? It's like the weird... I, I don't get it. That, but when we die to self, we become those who are not living to show the glory of ourselves, 
or to show how great we are, but to show how great Jesus Christ is. We reflect him in his glory and not our own. So Jesus calls Peter three times in this passage. Look at the passage with me in verse 15, and then again in verse 16, and then again in verse 17. He says, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me more? Do you love me? And then in verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He asks him three times. And then he tells him three times after Peter responds affirmatively to care for his sheep. This is no longer Peter's plan for his life. This is no longer what Peter would have designed for his own life. It's Jesus' plan for Peter's life. Jesus died so that Peter sins and Peter would die. That brings us to the second thing this morning. Jesus was buried so that Peter's old way of life and Peter would be buried. Again, Peter went fishing, but his old way of life was buried with Jesus. When Jesus was buried, he was then, or when Jesus died, he was then buried. Into the tomb he had went, and it appeared as though death had won. But all that sin that Jesus took on himself, Peter's sin, your sin, my sin, all of that sin that went to Jesus on the cross went into the ground with Jesus. And when Peter then tries to default back into his old way of life, to go back and travel the old paths, Jesus confronts him. Jesus shows up on the shore. And reminds Peter, reminds him that his old, his old life is in the past. Jesus does so by asking Peter again this question, do you love me three times? Do you love me? Now, some modern interpreters, if you've studied your Bible before and this passage in particular, maybe you've heard this and some People like to make a big deal about the word love in the original language here. Uh, If you've heard the word agape or phileo, there's a conversation around that. What do those words love mean in the original language? Uh, Put it out of your mind. It's not helpful in understanding what Jesus is doing here. Those two words are both used interchangeably throughout this gospel. There is no determinable way that we can define that these two words are used differently. And on top of that, when we focus on the usage of these words, it distracts us from the point that John the author is actually making through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Rather, we should note a literary parallel here. We should note a parallel between this passage and a passage that came before it. We've already alluded to it in John chapter 18. That Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter denies Jesus three times, and then he confesses that he loves Jesus. How many times? Three. Jesus questions three times here in this text. Peter responds that he loves Jesus 
three times in this text. This is why we get the common title for the passage, The Restoration of Peter. But again, more going on in this interaction. Peter's sin has been buried. Those three denials went into the ground when Jesus went into the ground. They, they didn't come out with Jesus. They were there in the ground. Friends, if you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, your sin went into the ground with Jesus. It didn't come out with him. It went in, but it didn't come out. Peter's sin buried. Denials in the ground. Those three denials that caused Peter to think that it maybe was better for him just to go back to his old way of life. Just to take up his old vocation and stop wondering about this this following Jesus business altogether. But Peter and his sin were buried. Those three denials, Peter's old ways of life, Peter's identity that he made for himself went into the tomb. The Apostle Paul asks a simple but profound question in Romans chapter 6 related to this very idea. He says this, How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you've been crucified with Christ, and it is therefore you know who no longer live, but Christ who lives in you, how can you still live in sin? This is a very real question to ask yourself. How can you go back to your old way of life, doing the things, taking on the sinful actions that you did prior to coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ? I'm not saying that you're perfect. I'm not saying that you won't be tempted or that you won't mess up and slip into sin. Of course you have. Of course you did. You probably have in the last five minutes. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is referring to a way of life. How who we who died how can we who died in sin still continue living as if it's very much alive? Jesus has given us new life because he has taken our sin to the grave and buried it there. And so that brings us to the final point here in this text this morning. Listen very carefully. Jesus was raised so that Peter would be raised without his sin and without his old way of life. Again, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today, but the implications of the resurrection are also what we're celebrating. We, we, we sang it like a thousand times. In, in all of those songs, they're contained an element of the reality of the implications of the resurrection, not just that Jesus is alive, but that we also, together with him, will be raised. This is the good news that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, is that death could not hold Jesus, and he can't hold us. The resurrection is not exclusively limited to the last day. It's not exclusively limited to the trumpet and the sky and the meeting up there. It's not exclusively limited to that. It's literally the way of life. It's the way that you live now. You live in light of the resurrection. You live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, God incarnate, came into the world and lived. And from him flows all of life. That he is the agency of creation. He is the one who made all things. 
He is the one through whom all life exists. Apart from Jesus Christ, nothing that is living, breathing, uh, heart pumping, any of the brain synapses waving, whatever they do. Sorry, medical professionals. I got a haircut and this mic won't stay put. Okay. Jesus Christ is the sole source of life. He, only through him, can you have life. Physical life, yes. Eternal life, yes. Any kind of life that you can think of. The only way to have that life is through Jesus Christ. Whether you acknowledge it or not, the reason your next breath is coming, the reason the next beat of your heart is coming, is because of Jesus Christ. He is ruling sovereignly over you. He's ruling sovereignly over me. He's ruling sovereignly over everyone in this building. He's ruling sovereignly over everyone in Jamestown, in North Dakota, in the United States, in the, on the globe, across the entire galaxy and universe. There is nothing that is alive that is alive apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Peter, Peter's sin went into the grave, but Peter was raised with Christ, without his sin, and without his old way of life. These are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The implications of Resurrection Sunday. For those who are joined to Christ by faith, you've already been raised. You've already been raised to walk in newness of life. And of course, in the last day, you will physically be raised again in a perfect body to match your, what has gone on inside of you. But Peter here wasn't just restored to right relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. He was resurrected, raised to walk in newness of life. Peter and Peter's sins went to the cross with Jesus. Peter and Peter's sin was buried with Jesus. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, Peter's sin and his old way of life stayed there in the ground, cold and dead. Friends, you and I, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, that is for you also. It's not just for Peter. Peter was raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus gives Peter a new task. He says three times as he is, as he is asking Peter if he loves him, his response to each of those, those questions or those answers to those questions is to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, Peter has a very specific purpose. In his life, he's going to go on to lead the church. In the book of Acts, you'll see Peter taking the good news of the gospel to Jerusalem, and then it'll go to Judea, and then to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He has a very specific task. But for us, we should take this away. Peter's old way of life is behind him. He's put his hand to the plow, and he is worthy of the calling that Jesus Christ puts on his life. That can be you as well. And he is raised to live in complete service to Jesus Christ. Peter is raised to live in complete service to Jesus Christ. I don't know many of you in this room this morning. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, do you recognize that like Paul says, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you? 
Do you recognize that it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you? And the new life that is yours is yours because Jesus walked out of the grave. Every Christian has new life in Jesus. At the moment you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are given new life. And you are dead to your old way of life. Peter's new life here in this passage means that he will follow Jesus into a death like his. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter, church tradition holds that Peter would be crucified like Jesus, that he would be carried off in a way that he did not consent and be killed like Jesus was killed. And at the end of verse 19, Jesus places the call on Peter's life that he placed on the very first time that he met him. He says, follow me. Follow me. To be called a follower of Jesus is to follow Jesus in every way. To follow Jesus in every way that Jesus, in every direction that Jesus goes. Not just the ways you want, not just the convenient ways. Not just how you want or when you want. But to follow him into his death, burial, and resurrection. No longer living for self, no longer living for self-interest, but living for Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. This is what we mean when we say that we follow Jesus. If you don't know where you're going, okay, so you have lunch plans after this this morning, and someone you're here visiting, someone in your family says, okay, well, just follow me there, right? And if your family member drives out of the parking lot and takes a right, and you take a left, are you doing a good job? Right. Layup question. Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised. Those are critical turns in the journey of the Christian life. Critical turns in the journey of the Christian life. If you ignore those, you're not following Jesus at all. You just want to carve your own path. You're just making your own way. You want to blaze your own trail altogether. But brothers and sisters, the call of Jesus in your life is to follow him. In Christ, you've been given newness of life. You've been freed from sin and its deadly effects. Through the death of Christ, death was defeated. Your sin and your old way of life have gone to the grave with Jesus. But when he came out of the grave, your sin and your old way of life stayed there. And you're called to follow Jesus at every turn, death, burial, and resurrection. Now, the good news here, or what's really helpful, is that uh, John, the gospel writer, points out a critical mistake that Peter makes right out of the gate, which is not uncommon for the apostle Peter. He, Peter turns and looks at John and says, what about this guy? I'm going to go and be crucified. What about him? Jesus says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And what Jesus intends to communicate here is that your primary concern in the Christian life is following Jesus. Those turns, crucifixion, burial, resurrection, those turns are yours, not his. 
Those turns will come at different points for him than they will for you. You follow me. You follow me. Peter's Peter's death to old ways of life and death to self. Peter's sin buried with Jesus. Jesus being raised so that Peter would be raised without his sin and without his old way of life. Each of these things, critical turns for the Christian life, all seen here together in this passage this morning. That leads us to a conclusion. Just three simple questions I want to ask you this morning. Things to reflect on as you go, as you think about what it means this upcoming week, what this passage means, and think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it all works. The implications. Three questions. First question is this. Have you followed Jesus into his death? Have you followed Jesus into his death? Have you died to self and self-interest? The Christian life is a relinquishment of self and self-interest. That's not even strong enough, though. It is a death to self and self-interest. This is what the Bible calls repentance. The Bible calls death to self and self-interest repentance. Repentance of sin is seeing clearly that we've violated God's command in turning and going the other way. We die to sin. Because no one can serve themselves. You can't serve self and Jesus. To serve yourself or anything other than Jesus is sin. To serve Christ is what you are created to do. Your sin is the thing that is keeping you from God's good design for you. So the way to live a fulfilled, blessed life is to stop trying to find yourself or better yourself, but to turn from that activity altogether and turn not to nothing, but turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Die to self and live unto Christ. You can do that even now this morning. Even right now. Conditions will never be better than this moment. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what the next 10 minutes bring. You don't know what your next breath brings. Conditions are never better than now to turn from your sin and to trust Jesus Christ. And if you have not done so, you can do it right now. There is no prep work. There is no prep work to do. Just turn from your sin now and trust Jesus. You don't have to wait for conditions to be right. They'll never be better than they are right now. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I'm a Christian, but you walk from this place and you begin to see that the only thing that you care about is what you experience in the next day or week or year. If the only thing that you are concerned about is self, friends, the kindest thing that I can say to you this morning is that you may not actually be a Christian. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. Turn from self and trust him. In Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. What are you trying to go back to? Whatever it is in Christ, you can be free from it.
The second thing that I want you to see this morning is are you trying to dig up your sin or your old way of life? Again, Peter went to the grave, but he did not come out of the grave. And if you've trusted Jesus, if you are in fact walking with Jesus, are you seeking to dig something up from your old way of life? If you've turned from your sin and trusted Jesus and you've died to that sin, then consider the question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And the answer is you can't. You cannot still live in that sin. Forgiveness of sins is yours in Jesus Christ. Don't go back to the old way of life. Put your hand to the plow and move forward. Final question. Are you living in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you living in the, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And this is the question I really want. This is the question that I really want you to ask yourself this week. Again, this isn't some mystical warm feeling of walking in the garden with dew on roses. This is the reality of the resurrection. It means that the Christian is most assuredly the possessor of new life in Christ. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling or some kind of even mental ascent. It is the assurance in your heart that you have new life and one day you will be raised with Christ and your physical body will match the newness of life that you even have right now in Christ. It means you cannot live for self as you once did. It means that all of your life is now in service to Jesus Christ. It means that the sin that you once loved, you now despise. And the Christian has been raised to walk in newness of life, not returning to that sin, not returning to that old way of life, but looking ahead in service to Jesus Christ. And all of this, don't get me wrong, all of this is because of Jesus. It's not because of you getting it right, conjuring it up, figuring it out on your own. It's all because of Jesus. He is the one who draws you to himself this morning. If you felt conviction for sin and living for self this morning, it's not because of me. It's because of his Holy Spirit operating on you right now. You are in desperate need of surgery. You are desperately sick if you are outside of Christ. And you absolutely, without exception, need the operation of the Holy Spirit on your heart this morning. Jesus Christ. This is all because of Jesus Christ. You won't conjure up the strength to live on your own. You won't muster up the necessary good works to keep your old life buried. You won't live in light of the resurrection apart from the transformative work of Jesus Christ in your life. And so fall on Jesus Christ for literally everything that you need. Fall on him, turn from your sin, turn to him, trust in him. Brothers and sisters, for eternity, for eternity, we will be telling of the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Do you think we'll run out of things to say? No, we will not run out of things to say. We have such a small picture of our dire straits. We have such a small picture of the 
the insurmountable, overwhelming power of death that Jesus defeated on the cross and that he put to shame when he walked out of the grave. We have such a small picture, those infinite forces in in conflict with each other that Jesus put down and ended. We will write about them. We will share them. We will sing them and we will never exhaust them. All that we have and all that we are, all that we need in life, everything is owed to him and everything comes from him. And so I'll leave you with verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your mercy. We praise you for the person of Jesus Christ who came into the world. God, we thank you that he sent, you sent him into the world because we like sheep had gone astray, each one of us to his own way. But you laid upon him the iniquity of us all, the real physical death, the real blood, the water that was spilt. God, we're spilt so that we might be raised to walk in newness of life. God, in this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see that death has been put to shame, that there is no longer anything, no longer anything that can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, would you cause us to have great faith and belief? Would you cause us to trust you, to repent of our sin, to die to our old ways of life, to die to the the self and self-interest that the world promotes and to turn to Christ, to make much of him, to sing of his excellencies, to not forget of all the wonderful things that he has done on our behalf, to be enthralled and overjoyed, to have assurance of hope, to know the person of Jesus Christ, to know our God, God, would you draw us to yourself even today as we go from this place? God, would you cause us to be discontent? If there are those here this morning who do not know Jesus Christ, who are living for self, who only want to pursue self and self-interest, would you cause them in their hearts to be so discontent that they would have no choice but to turn to you? God, we thank you for your word. Cause us in these very moments to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.